Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Good morning and welcome to the sixth edition of GCSE English Revision Pod. I say good morning because we're actually recording this at about seven o'clock in the morning in Mr. Forster's car. To set the scene for you, it's cold and dark outside. Mm, I'm feeling a little bit nervous, which I think is a, another theme that comes across in the in the text we're going to look at today. But I think before we talk about today's text, uh, we should say that we've updated the uh, bios in the other podcasts we've done so far. They now all include a handout which has both the question on it and also key quotations and vocabulary we've used in the podcast so and don't please, forget key context as well they include everything sir everything you could it's, need it's a one-stop shop for everything you could possibly need so please go back to those previous podcasts and download those handouts because we think they will be really helpful as an accompaniment to what we've done so and, far and just as a quick note on that one way i'd suggest that it'd be really useful to listen to this podcast is actually to print out that handout before you listen then you can sit there making notes mm. while you listen to the podcast i think that's active revision i always tell my students is one of the best ways to to really remember things that are going on absolutely i'd hugely agree it's just uh, the sound of the rain drumming onto the car there i hope that's not going to ruin the uh, the audio too much we will we will persevere so tell me a bit about the text we're now going to move on to sir yep so we're going to be looking at charles dickens's 1843 novella a christmas carol um, pretty appropriate for this time of year and this dark, cold, blustery weather outside mm. the car. In a way, it's a Christmas podcast. It is a Christmas podcast. Mm. And the question we're going to look at is this. So, read the extract from Stave 2 of A Christmas Carol, then answer the question that follows. In this extract, Scrooge sees Belle leave him. So, Belle is Scrooge's um, ex fiance and this is the penultimate memory of, of Scrooge's encounter with the ghost of Christmas past. Very difficult memory for A him, very I difficult imagine. memory. Um, and the question that we're going to look at today is, starting with this extract, how does Dickens present wealth in A Christmas Carol? OK, so why don't you contextualise the idea of wealth in the novella a little bit? So I think wealth is, of course, a, a crucial theme for us to understand, because A Christmas Carol centres on Scrooge, who is a misanthropic miser. Right. A misanthropic miser, that's a, that's a great way of describing him. What does it mean? So a misanthrope is someone a bit like me at this time of the year who just hates everyone else. Mm. And a miser is someone who doesn't like spending their money. So to describe as a misanthropic miser encapsulates his character as a man who both doesn't like other people mm-hmm. but also is incredibly selfish about the wealth that he's collected over the years. So it makes complete sense that Christmas would be his least favourite time of year, a time of um, people coming together and sharing things. Precisely. And I think from the very opening 
happening with the novella, we could talk about in our introduction, he seems defined by his pursuit of wealth. Scrooge is, of course, a moneylender. His job is about accumulating wealth. Mm. Um, and it's only after a series of supernatural encounters with ghosts that he comes to realise that he doesn't actually need money to make him happy. Sometimes it does take a series of supernatural <laughs> encounters with ghosts to make you see uh, the error of your ways. I, I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. And the ultimate message, therefore, is that society should be less greedy, less defined by money, and like Scrooge, that Victorian society should also be defined more by kindness. And is the message there as well that people can learn and change? Is there an optimistic feel to the novella, would you say? I, I think that's crucial to the success of the novella, that actually at the heart of it has this optimistic message. It's a message about the potential in everyone to change the way they see the world. Fantastic. Okay, so are we ready, do you think, to move into the question itself? Yeah, definitely. So, the, as I said, the extract is from stave two. And um, in this extract, we see, we see Belle leave him. And she leaves him because she thinks that he doesn't love her anymore because he loves money more than he loves her. So we can start with something about the idea that, you know, in this extract, it, um, Dickens explores how Scrooge chooses wealth over love. Mm. A decision which, in the context of the novella as a whole, actually leaves him deeply unhappy right. and alone. And this is perhaps the thing that he starts to learn from the ghost of Christmas past. And what? so the, the students should be honing in on this idea that we're seeing kind of the pivotal moment of his life where he literally chose um, material wealth over spiritual happiness that he could get from another human. What's the best language in the extract that you would use to, uh, to make that point? Yeah. Oh, it's really raining outside now, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, the first one we can look at is, um, it, it, at the start of the extract, um, when Scrooge looks at his younger self, he sees signs of avarice in his face. He sees signs which show the passion which had taken root and where the shadow of the growing tree would fall. Well, that's a fantastic metaphor. How would you unpack that? Yeah, I think, firstly, before we look at the metaphor, we, this draws upon a bit of context we need to understand. It draws upon the Victorian theory of physiognomy, which is the idea where someone, someone's appearance would reflect their character. Right, we talked about this in another podcast. We talked we about did on, the concept of Mr Hyde um, yeah, being affected by this. Definitely. And so what we can see, the, the idea of the signs of avarice being in his face... Um, it implies metaphorically that he's being defined, his appearance and perhaps his character has been defined by his greed. What is that? What does that word mean, avarice? So avarice just means greed. Right. Um, and the, the, then the extended metaphor of the idea of this passion having taken root in him, the shadow of the growing tree, um, you know, being visible now. Mm. Um, it's a metaphor that implies that somehow his desire for wealth is this tree that's going kind to of spread down. It's growing inside him, digging deeper and deeper into his psyche until it comes to define him. That's a really interesting metaphor, isn't it? Because students might want to draw on perhaps their slightly paradoxical nature that a tree is often seen as hope, new life. Um, the future, that kind of stuff. But in this case, it's... Uh... The only thing growing inside him is greed. Right, that's really interesting. Uh, I think the second, perhaps, most important point in this extract is, of course, what Belle says. Belle says that she has been displaced by, a, um, by an idol. Um, and she, she says, another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to get grieve. And I suppose by using the metaphor of the idol, because what does idol typically mean? God. Yeah, well, not quite. So um, I think this is a specific allusion to the Old Testament story in the Bible of the Israelites, right. who, um, as they were leaving Egypt, they melted down all of their jewellery to create a golden calf, ah. which they worshipped instead of God. So the idea of Scrooge worshipping a golden idol implies that, like the, like the Israelites, he's worshipping gold, he's worshipping money over, perhaps, the true God. And by extension, this is... A, 
by extension, this is also something that's going to lead to his suffering because the Israelites were punished for this um, by God, by being exiled to the desert for 40 years. Mm. So this, this allusion contains in it both the idea of Scrooge worshipping money, but also the idea that this is something that will lead to his punishment. Fantastic. So that really sets out the first paragraph, doesn't it? The analysis of Scrooge as this man who sacrificed everything for wealth and also how it was foreshadowing that that would lead to his downfall with this kind of biblical reference. Fantastic. So that takes us, I suppose, into... uh, the next paragraph where we move on and look at other points in the play. Where are you? Where are well, you heading? Novella, sir. Sorry, no, just no. made the mistake that our students <laughs> all make. It's uh, it's incredibly early in the morning. It's it is incredibly early, early, and it's yeah. raining and it's cold. This is uh, we're really we're really suffering for um, for this podcast. But yeah, <laughs> paragraph two. Then we are moving on into the, another point in the novella. Where are we? Uh, where are we going? Yeah, I think we need to look more generally at how Dickens presents the pursuit of wealth as a negative thing. And I think the best moments to look at this actually are also from from stave one. Um, so Marley, looking at the the depiction of Marley's ghost. And also Scooter's encounters with various people in Stave One and what they show about him. So I think looking first at his encounter with Marley's ghost, um, Marley is, of course, Scrooge's business partner. Yeah. Um, he's been dead, we're told, at the start of the novella for a number of years. And as a result of this encounter with Marley's ghost, Scrooge starts to change. Right. I think what's really important when, when analysing wealth in the novella is how the appearance of Marley's ghost metaphorically shows how he's been chained by his wealth and selfishness. Mm. Um, Dickens describes how there's this heavy chain that wound around him. There's cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel in the chain. So language from the semantic field of money and lending and business and Precisely. all that kind of uh, thing. And obviously being emblematic here of the idea that actually these very things that defined his job as a money lender, these things that defined his pursuit of wealth, his avarice, if you will, yep. um, have now come to imprison him. To, to chain him, him down chain in the afterlife. And he acknowledges this himself. He says to Scrooge, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it of my own free will and of my own frill free will I wore it I think that's a that's a really interesting line the idea of him making it so sort of slowly and meticulously kind of implies that he had lots of chances not to do it precisely I think and also if we look at the active verbs here forged and girded it implies right. that he had agency both in the creation of these selfish deeds and also girded implying meaning he wrapped it around himself mm. the, the idea therefore is that the punishment that you get from being avaricious from being greedy the suggestion seems to be here according to Marley yeah. is that this punishment is something you do to yourself and also perhaps that it's not it's not a single mistake you know it's not like a it's not like a crime of passion where you might murder someone in a blind rage these are An accumulation they made over their lives you know so the greed built up and they wanted more and more and more and we see that don't we no one no one's ever rich enough there you hear people say you know people get some money they want more money they get more money they want more money it's a, it's an accumulative thing Definitely. And I think the other thing we can look at here is Scrooge's selfish reaction to the two gentlemen. Mm. Um, So two gentlemen come asking for money for charity, and Dickens' response is to ask whether there are workhouses or prisons, um, suggesting that those who lack wealth, those who lack money, um, should either be sent to a workhouse or should go to jail. Uh, Another bit of a contextual point here, this is quite important, because of course, um, in 
in Victorian society, workhouses were places where if you didn't have enough money to support yourself, if you were too poor, you would potentially be sent. And these would involve splitting up families, um, incredibly hard work, and they were not pleasant places to be. But I think wouldn't wouldn't an interesting contextual point with you that people like Scrooge or people like Scrooge at the beginning of the novella would see the workhouse as a good thing. You know, that's where the poor should yeah. be. That's where Forcing they deserve to, to be. To work, it it I, and it's quite a disturbing notion. It shows this lack of empathy for those uh, who have less money. He doesn't want to spend his money on those less fortunate than himself. And you could argue that we still see that a lot today mm. in society. Unfortunately, Sadly. it's a very relevant message. Probably not the the arena to talk about that but yes certainly some interesting AO3 um, I think then what we might want to contrast this with is looking at the characters of Fezziwig so of course Scrooge is a wealthy man who's defined by his greed but Fezziwig who is Scrooge's old employer is instead a man who's defined not by his wealth but by his kindness so we can say that in when we see him in stave um, in stave three Actually, he could be seen as a counterpoint to Scrooge's worldview. Fantastic. So I'm just going to go back slightly over what we've done so far because I don't want to have moved on too quickly in terms of the essay itself. So we've had our first paragraph, which is all about this idea of how wealth, um, you choosing wealth, you know, kind of um, ruined Scrooge. Then we had this idea about, through Marley, that the pursuit of wealth is in general shown as a negative thing um, throughout throughout the novella. So that's paragraph one and two. Paragraph three, we're yeah. then going into a contrasting idea. Yeah, I think now we need to look for characters who function as counterpoints to Scrooge's worldview. I think definitely um, Fezziwig is one of these, who demonstrates the need for society to, to be less selfish. Mm, it's even a, like, quite a kind-sounding name, yeah. Fezziwig, isn't it? Yeah, and I think um, one thing we could pick out here is um, a motif that runs throughout the whole novella. Um, which is the motif of fire. Okay. So at the start, um, at the, uh, throughout the novella, um, Dickens uses the motif of fire to to represent metaphorically the Christmas spirit, to represent kindness, and we see this particularly importantly here in the description of Fezziwig. Um, Fezziwig is described at this party that he throws for his employees as having this huge fire that gives out a lot of warmth. Dickens describes how fuel was heaped upon the fire. And the warehouse was as snug and warm and dry and bright as a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. So the, uh, so the ongoing thing is the idea that money equals coldness, right? That the more yeah. you harbour wealth and material stuff, the colder your life is, the more you, uh, the more you seek human interaction and kindness, the more warmth in your life. Yeah, so metaphorically we could see how the, fu- the large fire in Fezziwig's, in Fezziwig's room represents his, the, his Christmas spirit, his kindness, that he's defined not by that coldness, that misanthropy that Scrooge has. That's interesting. Um, we see this, so a, a, a great thing to contrast that with therefore would be the cold imagery of Stave 1. Scrooge described as having carried his low temperature around with him. Um, he's described as having a frosty rime upon his head, a metaphor that's implying both his white hair colour, because a frosty rime is, of course, that kind of the ice you get on the ground in mornings, but also, of course, it's again connoting his coldness. Mm. And perhaps most importantly, um, when describing Bob Cratchit, his employer, his employee, um, uh, Dickens describes how Bob Cratchit had only a single coal um, at the start of the novella, and when he uh, and 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 he's cold, he's shivering, he's he's, he's warming his hands on a candle. 
So the juxtaposition between Fezziwig's warm office and Scrooge's cold is clearly meant to encapsulate this difference in worldviews, one defined by the cold pursuit of wealth, one defined by human kindness. Mm. This motif is extended also further in the description of the Cratchits, who gather around a fire in their living room in Stave 3, and also the other working-class characters, the miners, the lighthouse keepers, the sailors, all of them at Christmas time, Dickens describes them in Stave 3, gathering around a fire and singing Christmas carols. I suppose it's a nice image in the sense that on the one hand it's about keeping warm as a kind of survival thing but actually what it becomes about is the idea of community and togetherness and all these things that Scrooge lacks and what they can students can therefore develop through paragraph three is this idea that the what what Scrooge really thinks is valuable in the world doesn't have any true value is that right definitely I think this but I think before we kind of finish, I would like to get onto a bit of a stretch and challenge point here. Because okay. I think particularly when you're writing or when you're aiming for the top grades, you want to evaluate your opinion and think actually, is is it as simple as all that? So initially through this essay we've argued quite simply that there's a very clear moral message in yeah. this novella. Money um, bad. Money money is bad, friendship and love is something you is might good. want to try and remember yourself sometimes. Um, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but what we might want to finish in this essay by looking at perhaps is <clears throat> First of all, thinking about um, a bit of context, and then let's evaluate it. So the first bit of context is, of course, Dickens wrote this book in 1843. He wrote it after reading an 1843 parliamentary report called The Parliamentary Commission on the Employment of Women and Children, which showed the horrific conditions in which young children were made to work underground or tremendously long hours in appalling conditions in factories or as chimney sweeps. Which is the story students might be aware of from Oliver Twist. Have, they, uh, have they read that, Dickens' work? And, and Dickens' desire, he wrote that he wanted to write something that would, I quote, come down with sledgehammer force and make society realise the horrors of inequality. Right, so that was his agenda. He was writing A Christmas Carol to show society's all wrong, we're treating people terribly, the rich are only concerned with themselves and the poor are being abused and maltreated. Precisely, but the point we might want to end on is perhaps... We want him to evaluate, does he actually succeed that? Because one thing I would argue is that Dickens' message is fundamentally socially conservative, and I mean that with a small c. Mm-hmm. So socially conservative means that he doesn't really want society to change that much. The message ultimately is not that uh, wealth should be redistributed to the poor, that mm. taxes should be higher, that we should have a national health service, or anything of that, right. of that nature. The message actually is quite... Um, is, 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 is more humanist. He wants, he wants the wealthy to be more generous towards the poor. So we could contrast him with other writers at this time, like Friedrich Engels, who are actually talking about more revolutionary changes, whereas Dickens' message about wealth is not that the rich should not accumulate wealth. That's mm. not what he's arguing. He's simply arguing that for those who are wealthy, they should be slightly more generous, particularly around Christmas time. So if we were being really cynical, we would say that Dickens' message is there still should be a poor. Like, it's OK that there's a poor, we should just all be a bit nicer to them. Yeah, and I think that's a really nice point to put in your conclusion just here, that although it's this novella with a really positive message, although it seems to be about how the accumulation <clears throat> of wealth is bad, doesn't make you happy, mm-hmm. um, at no point does it suggest an alternative worldview. A different system. A, d- a different system. At no point does it imply, like Friedrich Engels, that we should have revolution. The, simp- the message is that uh, we should be more generous towards the poor, especially uh, at Christmas. What an interesting... Well, and what a, what a key theme to end on, I would say. Um, thank you for joining us again. I hope the the rain that's been beating down throughout this recording hasn't ruined it too much. Maybe it's sort of added a 
relaxing element, you know, like when people listen to running water when they're meditating and that kind and of maybe stuff. Maybe it's a metaphor for our cold, misanthropic nature hiding in the car in a, in a dark car <laughs> yeah, well, bike in the morning. <laughs> it could well, it could well be that too. Uh, as I said at the start of the pod, there are now going to be, on each individual one, there is a downloadable handout which comes with the quotations we've talked about, the vocabulary we've used, and also some nice AO3 context as well as the question itself. So please, um, please download those and listen along uh, as you are as you are going through the handout. And uh, I think all that's uh, all that's left to say is a very happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas.